Welcome, everyone. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast, the holiday edition. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the host with the most, Dan Moran, the guy who I want to be on a road trip across the country to get home in time for the holidays. What's up, Dan? Not much. How is everyone here? I'm excited to go uh, try to get my dad's Porsche. That's my only goal right now. Your dad, Just my dad's your, Porsche. Get your dad's solve Porsche. Solve all my issues. Yeah, that'll solve all your issues is an old school Porsche for the holidays. And we have a wonderful, excellent, most phenomenal special guest on Fear and Loathing in cinema today. You know him as the man behind the mask, Preston Barta. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Do, doing well. Well, while Dan's getting his dad's portion, I'm doing all the schemes. I'm getting those Dave Matthew tickets and stuff like that. (laughs) Oh, of course, you know, we're going to be talking about a holiday movie today. And uh, today we are going to be talking about the 1998 Disney film, I'll Be Home for Christmas, directed by Arlene Sanford. Uh, the story by Michael Allen, which we'll get into in a little bit, but starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Jessica Beale, and Office Space's own Gary Cole. Lumberg fucked indeed. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is a, uh, we watched it. It's been a long time, at least for two of us. Maybe Preston watched it more recently than us. But this movie came out uh, November 13th, 1998, you know, just in time for almost the holiday season from Disney, starring a very popular Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Uh, the movie was made for about $30 million, but it did not return that whatsoever. It only made about $12 million at the box office. Uh, it's opening weekend. It only made $3.9 million, which doesn't, excuse me, make any sense. But it got critically panned and whatever. But on Fear and Loathing in Cinema, we try to find these movies that may not have done so well back then. But we revisit them now in this movie, of course, uh, 22 years later. Does it hold up? Does it... Does it ring true to the Christmas spirit? I guess we'll find out. So, um, first off, let's start with uh, Preston. Um, in a couple sentences or whatnot, when did you first see this movie? Uh, like, did you see it back when it came out? Were you a big Jonathan Ta- Taylor Thomas fan? Jonathan Taylor Thomas, yes, JTT. Uh, and go coming back to it many years later what were your expectations and did it meet those expectations uh, instead of a few sentences i can give you one word yes um, <laughs> i uh yeah I grew, I grew up with this movie i i can't remember if it came out in theaters uh, yeah i guess it did since you were talking about the box office number so i believe my mom took me to go see it and i was eight at the time i guess november yeah 2000 or 1998 yep um and I appreciated it. It then I was a big Jonathan Taylor Thomas fan. I, I grew up with like movies like Man Man of the House and stuff like that, and so and Home Improvement, of course. And so uh, yeah, I was totally on board with that guy's stuff. And and that was like one of the movies where I felt like there was a there was a gap, and he was getting older. And so I was intrigued by <laughs> that. And then uh, yeah, I watched it earlier this morning. Uh, I watched it last year too with my wife because they that's when Disney Plus was. Uh, 
everything, um, all the news. And so I was looking for like a, a Christmas movie that I hadn't watched in a while. And that was, that was it. And so, uh, watching it now, especially as a parent, um, I guess just cause I have a lot of dad humor. There was so many things about it that I found really funny. So I think it, it, it was above like it delivered to my expectations. I found it a lot of fun and enjoyable. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can complain about for sure, but uh, I had, I had a great time watching it again by myself. Good, good, good. Uh, Dan, same question to you. When did you first see this and coming back to it so many years later, expectations well, met? I guess I'm a couple of years older than Preston because I would have been around probably 13 ish when this came out and what I am struggling with, I don't know if just that four or five year gap, the generation missed if I missed it, but I don't remember this movie. I feel like this was, even though it probably wasn't because DVDs were around in 1998. I feel like I had this movie in one of those Disney thick plastic VHS tapes and I had seen it a bunch of times. So revolving back and watching it yesterday afternoon i completely forgot that it was um aimed almost at upper teens i thought he was a kid in the movie so i forgot a lot of pieces about it watched it i i agree with preston this is a harmless movie i was confused because i I thought it was gonna be a kid movie because i just jonathan taylor thomas never ages so seeing him do all these things in college and like have a girlfriend that looks like Jessica Biel was what threw me off for the first 20 minutes. But at the end of the day, this is Disney probably should keep doing this with Disney plus and just have these, this was a lifetime movie before lifetime would do, or I guess Hallmark channel would do all their Hallmark movies. I've seen so many Hallmark movies, Christmas movies living with my beautiful wife who has immaculate taste in movies around Christmas time. That this was this movie's better than ninety percent of them. So um, I didn't find anything offensive or bothersome about it. It's of course it has some corny parts. Of course the logic makes absolutely zero sense start to finish. The movie makes no sense, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole thing um, honestly, and I did not expect to enjoy it. Good, good. I like to hear that. I So you were a bunch of little young uh, ducklings, man. I was fucking 17 years old when this movie came out. Just turned 17 uh, when this movie came so out. You, so you really related to this because this was like he was your age going across country, getting your dad's car? Yeah, no, for sure. It wasn't a Porsche, though. It was probably like an Eddie Bauer Ford Explorer. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the... I remember when the movie came out and I believe I might've gone on a date to see this movie and just utterly hating it just because like, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, like I liked him in home improvement, but get me out of here. Show me like species or something like that with Natasha Henstridge. So going, you know, seeing it back then, I was like, Oh, can this date be over? Um, but coming back to it. And I, I will say that I don't think I've seen this since then. And oh man, did I just have a ball with this movie. I had so much fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it coming back some 22 years later to revisit this. I like laughed through the whole thing. And, you know, like you both said, I really think that Jonathan Taylor Thomas was maybe 
his age uh, in Man of the House or maybe Lion King style. So I expected like, okay, we're going to get this young little boy lost. That's not the case, I guess. That is, it was a very college-esque movie, which I think was cool because at this time in the late 90s, there was a whole new resurgence of comedy, uh, especially in a different kind of genre where like the Farley brothers and, uh, were doing their t- gross out toilet humor and something about Mary and other movies. And I think this Disney film has definite elements of that in here. And, uh, no, I enjoyed it. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. And I think this might be a staple for <laughs> future holidays to, uh, to watch just because, I mean, it's very charming and say what you will about Jonathan Taylor Thomas. That dude is a charming young man in this movie. Like, I don't know what what I thought. Yeah. After, after watching the movie, I had the exact same thought. I said, did he just voluntarily remove himself after being a childhood star? Kind of like Macaulay Culkin. He did. I could. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know that, cause I could see him right now, kind of doing a um, poor man's Jason Bateman in some of these comedies, you know, like a good looking guy who's charming, has maybe some dry wit playing the dad in a movie or something of what his age is right now. Like I could picture him having those kinds of roles and being pretty successful at it. So after watching this movie, I, I, I mean, good for him for being able to cash those checks and never have to do it. But I actually think that he could, um, have a resurgence as a pretty i guess a straight man in some comedic sitcoms or or movies easily or even like preston said he could be like the next hardcore like buffed up bald big beard action dude like devin sawa or uh ethan Embry or something like that we're just like whoa teen heartthrob jtt yes so what is this movie about, really? Well, this is a road trip movie. <laughs> it's about, it takes place, so Jonathan Taylor Thomas plays uh, a guy named Jake who's at college. His girlfriend is Allie, played by Jessica Biel. And I guess he's kind of, you know, popular. He's, he, you know, he's very wealthy. He's, he's like the young Van Wilder. Yeah, like a young, yeah. Van, you know, perfect, Preston, perfect. He's like a young Van Wilder. And I guess they're supposed to go home for Christmas. And his girlfriend, Jessica Beale, he gets her um, two tickets to Cabo, Mexico. But she doesn't want to go. She wants to do the whole family thing uh, in Christmas in New York. And uh, he, what ends up happening is he has a change of thought because his dad, played by Gary Cole, offers him his Porsche if he comes home for Christmas. So what should be easy to get home for Christmas on a flight turns into a whole obstacle course of trying to get home, very similar to planes, trains, and automobiles where nothing goes right. And there's a lot of kooky characters, a lot of, you know, sticky situations along the way. (laughs) And in the end, we have the Christmas spirit, the Christmas feeling, the story arcs that come full circle. Uh, except for a couple of things that are never answered, which we'll get into, but uh, <laughs> mainly a kid stuck in a locker. <laughs> um, but uh, so is this, Preston, is this a just a complete 90s movie setup? Like we, we all know these 90s movies, they have like their certain shtick. Does this follow that 
formula to a T or is there something a little different in this movie? I think there's some timeless qualities about it. I, I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. And um, what I was thinking when you were describing it earlier, uh, I just wanted to know, like, did Brian laugh at the part where that guy says, uh, Mrs. Claus is uh, letting some other man go down her chimney. Or like <laughs> I literally yelled out. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's some really good humor that still made me laugh. I, I, I probably didn't laugh that hard then. Cause it didn't really make that as much sense to me. But now that I'm older, there's just things that really appealed, really appealed to me as an adult. Um, Adultery. But, uh, what was that? <laughs> Adultery. And that's yeah, what yeah. she said, jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that too. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it does. There's, I mean, you can, pagers and things like that, like simple, like phone, cell phone would have solved so many problems in this situation. But uh, I, yeah, that, that's just kind of what makes it it charming to me, that it has that, it feels like it's part of that 90s time capsule. Yeah, yeah and somehow the lack of the cell phones, as you were saying, and those sorts of things is what makes it timeless. If this movie took place in 2001 or 2002 and everybody had a Razor cell phone and was playing Snake or a Nokia and calling each other, that would have put me out of it more than the fact that there was none of that. You know, if I was watching him with a big old clunky Nokia, I might have rolled my eyes a little bit more, but somehow the lack of those things, putting them in these they were ridiculous situations that were played for humor. I'm not trying to like attack the integrity of the movie, but having the cell phones or anything like that would, would have definitely, if not taken me out of it, would have definitely at least made me sit back and be like, wow, this movie is, feels really dated. And I never felt that watching this, which is a pretty big testament to a almost a straight to dvd disney movie in 1998 that i'm sitting there going you know what i could show my kids this in a couple of years and i don't think it would lose any of its um, charm or luster right i think it does have that nostalgic feel but also feels timeless you know with the dave matthews reference or some of the posters on the wall or even yeah. like the you know the the final exam at the beginning of the movie at college where everybody's cheating through their you know pagers which is yeah. you know really funny to me um other than those like few references it really is a timeless movie about trying to get c- cross country i would imagine if there were cell phones it would just be a constant like no cell phone service you know in the rural parts of america but yeah. or he just would have ubered he just would have ubered yeah. cross country it would have been over so um let's talk about Jessica Beale. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Let's talk about Adam uh Lavorgna and Gary Cole as the um the kind of like the mains here. Cause before this, what Jessica Beale and Adam Lavorgna were in the TV Seventh show together, Seventh Heaven, I believe. And then mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, of course, was in Home Improvement and a few other things. But, you know, Preston, do you think this was a Hollywood pitch meeting of like, okay, we've got Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He's getting older. We need a vehicle for him. He's really popular. This will be a huge cash grab for him to be in a holiday movie. We'll just have him dressed up as Santa for literally 90% of the movie and he'll do his thing. Or do you think there was something more to it that they wanted to do? I'm sure it was just 
exactly that. I don't, or maybe <laughs> even uh, Tim Allen had a conversation with him about like all the success he was having as uh, playing Santa before a couple of years earlier. And this would be an opportunity. Maybe it was a bet between them. <laughs> maybe he's like, I, I will, I will uh, uh, make my, my, my holiday classic and we'll see which one has more legs. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty, uh, it's, a, it's a great take. So do you think for them being at their time, do you think these uh, roles, these performances were pretty solid? I think so. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a crush on Jessica Bill still do um, when I, when I was younger then. And, um, and so I, I tried to, I guess, pick up a lot of that charisma that Jonathan Taylor Thomas had as this character. I mean, I watch it now and I'm like, he's an asshole the entire time. Even when, <laughs> even when they all forgive him at the very end and he still stole this sled, they're like, eh, who cares? Um, so uh, he gets off pretty easy. And, but um, I, I guess I was expecting this time around watching it uh, just because it had been a little bit that there would be like more of an arc to him that he, he seems like he learned a lot from this road trip, but I thought he would have learned just a little bit more. Um, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to get, get your dad's Porsche, I guess. So, right. <laughs> Dan, did you, do you, do you still appreciate the performances some of these years later? I mean, they are your typical standard in comedy late 90s performances i don't think there's anything to write home about any of them i think they're all effective i think um nobody does anything you know interesting nobody's talking about the acting performances of this movie (laughs) beyond saying like that was effective you did exactly what you needed to do moving on i didn't have a chance to research so maybe you you guys will know this was this before or after jessica beale broke bad um and got in trouble for doing like summer catch and got kicked off of seventh heaven i assume this was before so yeah this was before summer catch was like 2005 or something like that summer catch was 2001 and then rules of attraction was 2002 and then texas chainsaw massacre was 2003 so this was kind of a few years after or a few years before because looking at her you could you could tell she's these are not the roles that she wants to be playing. Right. She wants to be like, look at me. I am a, a, a 10 in the looks department. Stop covering me up on this WB show. You know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you could, yeah, that's, that's why she got in so much trouble. She was like, no, it's okay. If I'm in a movie that where I wear a bikini for 30% of it, like that's not bad. I'm not in a sex t- movie. I'm just like, here's me in a bikini and, I want to be running away in slow motion from a guy with a chainsaw. Like you could tell she was never going to do these roles her entire career, even in this movie. Yeah. She was just phoning it in, doing her job. And like I said earlier about Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I mean, I just, I, I was shocked at how charismatic he was, even though as Preston correctly pointed out, he was an asshole the whole movie. Like, he was <laughs> really, he was dumb he didn't really do anything right i mean he learned his lessons and i guess he did the whole christmas thing of you know not we'll talk about it not getting the car and giving the the winnings to the mayor those things those were the right things to do but he did it very begrudgingly and i don't think he learned anything from it <laughs> yeah it, it so wasn't they were fine of, 
Gary Cole's great in everything. So, I mean, Gary Cole. Yeah. What were you going to say, Preston? Oh, I was going to say, like, he, he didn't make the right choice until, like, somebody presented, like, what like what he should do. And then right. that opportunity presented himself. He felt like he had to do that. If, if he needed the answer on his pager. Yeah. He, he totally would have ran away with all that, that, that glory that he got. But uh, uh, with uh, Gary Cole, I think what surprised me this time around uh, is like, I, I think he's a, a good father. Um, even there's just like really small parts all throughout, but that he just genuinely wants his son home. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I found that relationship to be rather sweet. And I, I think I could, I, I'd watch a little bit more of that. I would Maybe too. Get some greater understanding as to why he uh, remarried ten or ten months after his wife died in the in the movie. It's another uh, unanswered question. Like it is. Huh. <laughs> no, I, I like that aspect because you know, with you know Jessica Biel's performance, you know, it's it's you know run of the mill. I think like she does a good job, yeah. but it's not memorable. And with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, it's funny because I feel like they if they wrote the script for him being the teen heartthrob he was, we're just going to put him in these weird scenarios and see how he reacts. Like with a, you know, a car full of crazy grandmothers where he pukes and, you know, one where he has to, you know, he's kind of active in the movie as far as like, it seems like he can get around really well. He's kind of pretty sportsman-like just like different situations where he would have to like, Oh, this is not the, person that I usually see just, you know, dialogue driven type of movie, he's going to actually do other things and immerse himself in these funny situations and not take himself too seriously. So I really, you know, praise that for him and it, and it worked. It, I mean, it worked yeah. for all of its uh, glory. So I, yeah, I think he, that's good. He, um, he beat a Kenyan runner. Yes. Oh race. my God. That was such a wonderful fucking joke too. <laughs> The Kenyan runner joke was so funny. And I thought to myself, would that joke work today? But it was like kind of like a wink nod, like, oh, there's the Kenyan. He's going to win. <laughs> exactly. My thought, when they did that, when he said that joke, I said to myself, Disney wouldn't put that in any of their movies today. No. That yeah. joke would not exist in any Disney movie whatsoever. <laughs> it, just, it just wouldn't happen. Even if it was as honest and tongue in cheek and poking fun at the people who said it as right. in this movie like you you execute that joke as non-offensively as possible disney would not have allowed that in their movie and i was sitting there going man i mean i was I, that was the most the most surprising thing to me of knowing what we know about disney now is this movie had the disney logo on the top of the i'll be home for christmas and some of the situations that occur in this movie you can't find in disney movies anymore no but i think that part well what uh dan's describing is there's a scene where there's a fun run with like hundreds of people dressed as santa to do a fun run like a 5k and before they're about to go you know there you see all these santas they're all kind of like bigger and eating beforehand and jonathan taylor thomas says hey i think i got this in the bag and then all of a sudden this black guy this kenyan runner who's not particularly dressed up as Santa, but kind of. He's wearing like spandex. Uh, Santa. He looks like Fro. Yeah, he looks like Frozone from The Incredibles, but <laughs> Santa, but Santa, but Santa colors. He's got like a cap and goggles and all sorts. He looks like a superhero. 
And they make the Kenyan joke. It's like, oh, it's a Kenyan. We gotta watch out for him. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Do you do you think that joke still holds holds weight, Preston, or do you think that's like a iffy subject? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I was laughing at it because I think that you would laugh at it, Brian. Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe that's why I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't. Yeah, like what Dan said, I don't think it would fly today. But you know what they made up for it in other areas that were kind of humorous to me. Like uh, there's a scene where uh, Jessica Biel and that Adam guy are at that uh, German village. And then there's like a clock tower. And then there's that guy that's in the clock tower that's chasing a woman up there. And he's like, oh, <laughs> a, a, uh, yeah, sexual harassment. And then there's like another moment where Jessica Biel is talking to Ad- the Adam guy and says like, do not, make any sexist racist homophobic jokes and it just feels like something that they came out this year movies today right i picked up on that when i watched it the other day and i was like holy shit like it seems like they filmed that for 2020 (laughs) because i was like man they literally that is heavy-handed on the nose don't do this (laughs) It's pretty much a disclaimer before most things you watch now. Yeah. They should just have her saying that entire speech about I'll suck you. I'll suck you after everything she said. Just put that before every movie. That's what they're doing now. But I didn't think there was anything really offensive in the movie. Like, I mean. No. There's not. I think the the, the Kenyan joke is funny because it's a stereotype. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a stereotype, it's, it's, and there's a lot of truth to it. As someone who's gone to many five uh, Ks or fun runs, and I never thought I was going to win, there is definitely a group of people who walk up. Whether it's the high school kid who looks like he weighs a hundred pounds, soaking wet, wearing those really short shorts, and you know he's on cross country, and you're like, shit, or the Kenyan guy. <laughs> like you, you see them at races and you immediately go like those dudes are gonna fly through this race like that's just an honest i mean you show up to a, a, a you got you're a wrestling fan right you show yeah. up to a wrestling fan and you see me walk out into the ring and then a guy the size of stone cold walk out in the ring it's like i mean who do you think's gonna win you <laughs> I mean, by taking the cheap nut shot <laughs> but you know what i mean like it's just yes it's just and it's, they, it's they not they don't hit it too hard or anything. It's right. like a no. like shrug of the shoulder and that's it. It was it's a very it's an observational humor for that's not meant to offend anybody, but just kind of be not a universal truth, but there's a lot of truth to like when you show up to a race, you know who the fast people are gonna be. You know who's gonna crush you in a race, and he's trying to win it for a reason. So it made sense for his character to be like, Oh shit, there's a Kenya. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm not going to get this money. Yeah. And there's another pretty big um, kind of almost taboo subject. Not really, but it is when, uh, well, first there's, I guess there's two. There's a, a, a guy that Jonathan Ta- Taylor Thomas meets on the way in a van who I guess is a robber who's stolen everything, who's not all there and is one of the funniest characters in the movie just by sheer look and how he acts. But Yes. And so they end up being pulled over by a cop. They end up going to a children's house and giving all the stolen goods to the kids, 
which then the police officer is like, I need my, I need my girl back. I cheated on her. (laughs) Yeah. Marjorie, which ends in a musical number at a diner. But there's also that like, you know, infidelity situation that Jonathan Taylor Thomas would seem to be a part of, but he's trying to, you know, do good. What do y'all think about that particular scenario? That scene is the one scene that always stuck out to me over the years just because of that jingle, that song, because he's writing it on the spot as this guy's like (laughs) singing it. And just like, I guess I always liked how quick on his feet uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character was, how he could just like look at a few things and just immediately come up with like a situation to... uh, to, to resolve uh, to something to resolve the situation. And so, yeah, just that band coming in and then immediately coming up with something like that was always really funny to me, but uh, yeah, I always, I really enjoy that scene. I think it's uh, the, the, the woman Marjorie makes some really valid points and then he's being understanding of it. But then at the end of the day, it was just like them just saying, Hey, I, I don't feel good about, like how this uh, played out and let's try to make this right. And so, yeah, sure. <laughs> Dan, you feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the, the, the poor side quests on this odyssey he was on, but it was, <laughs> it was thrown in there for some laughs, which it got. It's definitely the most abs- absurd moment of, uh, of a pretty absurd movie as far as premises go, but you know, for the cop to be like, oh, yeah, well, how? oh, okay, you, you're not stealing these, you're delivering them to these kids, okay, oh, and by the way, will you come help me rescue my marriage, or my uh, fiance? Let's I mean, go, like buddy. I'm... It's like every little thing that he's trying to do to get that one task done, and everybody's like, I need your help. Before yes. You... Yes, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is the Mandalorian. I like it. <laughs> I do like this. Uh, I did. I did enjoy that that bit just because I loved how the cop sold that he couldn't sing a tune to save his life. As Jonathan Taylor Thomas is trying to tell him the words, and then when Jonathan Taylor Thomas like get down on your knees, <laughs> he sings oh, that yeah. to her. That was pretty damn funny. I mean, it was uh, funny yeah. when he when that actor was going off script or I guess off the notes for the first time he's like oh Marjorie oh baby he's like I'll make love to you on the velvet skirt of a Christmas tree <laughs> oh my god oh and I, I immediately looked at my Hanukkah bush that was up <laughs> when that came on it was so funny it's like that's a place I haven't you know you hear like sex songs and sex things but you never heard of the velvet curtain the little rug underneath the Christmas tree that's pretty amazing <laughs> I mean that's oh, and that's man. Disney. That's a Disney family that's, film. That's all I'm saying. This was a this is a Disney family film. They don't even put jokes that risque in like the Avengers or any of their movies coming out, you know? So it's just funny to me that there's the this type of humor that existed in nineteen ninety-eight and it it's fine. It doesn't make me think any less of Disney. No, not at all. I think they were they would never do this. Well, they were taking chances back then, or it was the norm. Yeah. Like, I think comedy changes. Like, we have the early 90s comedy. We have the Farley Brothers. We have the Judd Apatow. We have the Kevin Smith. And so, I mean, they just comedy changes every several years to what people enjoy. 
And uh, I think that's uh, pretty fun. Um, are there any other scenes that really stuck out to you? Uh, and, as, and of course, being the holiday season, I, I'm, I don't celebrate Christmas, but you two do. Do you think this really hits home the story and the meaning of Christmas in this movie? I don't know if it's quite as strong as other movies. I think it's just a, a, a series of humorous situations, but I, I guess it does make me, uh, gives me a, a few butterflies and makes me all warm and cozy inside just to think about the, you know, the title itself, I'll be home for Christmas. And like all those like, like, I was just talking to my wife the other day uh, because my both my parents and her parents live an hour away from us. And we make that trip so many times. We have to do it over and over. And it's, and when you have like a three-year-old and you're trying to get out the door, like the simplest thing just takes forever. And I feel like this movie captures like all the headaches that you get just to be able to get home. And so on one hand, I'm like, Dude, going to Cabo San Lucas and just being away from family just sounds really awesome. <laughs> but then it also, you know, Jessica Biel just saying, I like the tradition because we're, me and my wife are having conversations about that now. And I think everybody is this year with uh, COVID, like what the hell are they going to do this Christmas? So um, yeah, I, I, I think it does kind of capture that Christmas spirit. I think there's other ones like Elf and things like that, that we revisit often and a lot of people have seen it just because it does capture that spirit uh, very well but I think this movie if I was able to convince more and more people to watch it I think they would as you said Brian like maybe throw it in the rotation every now and then let it let it be that curveball like it Dan what about you yeah and at the end of the day it's not as Christmassy a Christmas movie as your elf or name any other actual you know miracle on 34th street those sorts of christmas movies because it's a road trip movie and the focus of the movie is the absurd situations during the trip and christmas is kind of globbed onto that um whereas in a lot of other movies christmas is like the sole purpose of it or there's a much deeper purpose for the christmas part of it but as far as him going on the road trip and finding, you know, some universal truths about himself and kind of becoming a better person in the end and learning some lessons um, and being with his family, I think it checks the boxes of, of, a, of a Christmas movie. I mean, he gets home to his family on Christmas and decides he'd rather be with them and give up some material things because he's realizing the joy of being with his family during this, the holiday season. And that's pretty much the purpose of every Christmas movie. So yeah, I, I, I think it works. I think it works. And I, and I enjoyed that aspect of it, though not as on the nose or as explicit as several other Christmas movies. It definitely gets there in the end. Yeah, I agree. And as somebody who doesn't celebrate Christmas, I felt the Christmas spirit. Not as much as Eyes Wide Shut, but I did feel it. <laughs> so uh, the the two things that didn't make sense to me in the movie, I guess so if, I wonder if there was a deleted scene, if they'll release this, you know, in Criterion with a deleted scene type of thing. But, you know, the young kid 
uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's friend at the beginning, who's locked in the locker, <laughs> is locked in the locker before they go home for Christmas break, and we never come back to him. So I don't know if he's stuck in the locker for the whole time. And then the second thing is what Preston Brian, brought up. Brian, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> this, is, this is a movie about a murder that nobody sees happen. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then the second one is the the kind of the sweet but, you know, untelling of Jonathan Taylor Thomas's dad, Gary Cole, who, you know, he remarried 10 months after. It's never discussed why they got divorced or why he remarried. And I guess, like, to – through the movie – it seems like Jonathan Taylor Thomas has a decent relationship with his sister and his dad, but not the mom for some reason, but they bond over a sweater size, which is kind of funny to me, but um, (laughs) I I'm trying to figure out where, like what was written and what might've been the thing. Did y'all find problems with that? Where like, where you wanted to know more about those situations? I mean, I wanted to know more about, uh, because they they mention Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character mentions that his mom died, and that's why he's so upset. Is that his dad uh, remarried ten months after their mom died, and so this would be the first Christmas that they would have together without their mom. I, I'm assuming. I think that's what the issue was. But yeah, you don't get a sense as to like why much into the dad other than like these sweet moments that I mentioned. But you don't understand like. Was he just like, just completely torn up that he just needed that? Was he already in a relationship with this woman um, prior to his his wife dying? Does his wife die of cancer? Like, because there's like situations that you hear about where like somebody's significant other may be dying from cancer and it's really hard and then they may need uh, somebody else as a support system and then they end up falling in love like that could have been like the thing but i don't think they want to drop that in to the uh, christmas movie so i think they just kind of left it alone because there was bigger fish to fry um (laughs) but what 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 was the other thing that you mentioned the 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 kid in the locker the friend in the locker in the locker so yeah maybe there was a stinger at the end did you did you stay all i did i did and there's nothing that kid was just left in the locker because he's in the locker right before christmas break again and they don't cut back to it so maybe uh because if you change the music of this movie like those eddie and the boys easily (laughs) could have gone to jail because they dropped him in the middle of the desert what if he died and then right. it's not it's not a comedy christmas comedy anymore no they yeah they leave him they leave him glued santa suit in the desert which by the way is a funny nod and wink to lion king with him play with john ah. thomas playing simba complete with the buzzard sounds and the buzzards that was a yes. lion king nod <laughs> i laughed at that that was very funny which was really good uh but yeah i I mean, yeah, you, because cause they call him, what is it, Ed and the boys? Is that what they call him? Eddie, well, Edman, yeah. they all call Ed, themselves Edmund. the man. But the Edman. The Edman Ed Ed. and the boys, but like that's like Dirty Mike and the boys. That's like, you know, for those who know Dirty Mike yes. and the boys, you know. But, I mean, I think there's a lot of inside jokes that most family-friendly Disney people will not get, but were there for people like myself and us to, like, laugh at. But, yeah, no, there's some, like – 
like Preston said, you've seen like the, the sh- there's a shining trailer out there. You can look on YouTube with like romantic comedy music to it. And it's a very different movie. But if you put the sinister music to this movie, you, there would be a different story, right, Preston? Yeah. In the real world, I think I would have pressed charges on Eddie. And I have the, and he gave me the, the, the gift, the greatest gift, which is offering all the evidence, which is Eddie and the boys, like he signed something for him so he could just prove that, hey, they dropped me in the, he dropped me in the middle of the desert. I very well could have died. Um, but uh, yeah, that doesn't happen because there's so many ridiculous situations one after the other, but that's the, you know, what Dan and all of us have been saying that that's the fun of the movie. Dan, did you like the scene specifically when you thought the Ed man and Jonathan Taylor Thomas were going to become friends and they started singing along in the car only for the Ed man to kick his ass out? So, uh, yeah, as someone who forgot about this movie, I thought we were coming around. I guess I didn't look at the runtime. I probably should have known it wasn't going to go the right direction. But I was like, oh, this is another situation where we learn the bully also has issues with his family and they're going to bond over the song and they're going to open up to each other. And he's like, nope, pushing them out. No, nope, we're good. I'm still a villain. And that kind of, I mean, I chuckled at it because I really thought it was going for the, the uh, paint by numbers, heartwarming. We know that this guy deep down is a good person. He's just lashing out because of insecurities and nope, not even close. This guy's going to try and kill you. And that's so. another thing that's left undone is that he's still in that prison somewhere many miles away. <laughs> Probably where he belongs. Yeah, because he doesn't person. know how to drive. Apparently, like, he got dropped. He dropped Jonathan Taylor Thomas off, and the 5K track is so big that it took him to the end of the race to get in trouble, which is him – telling those two cops to move the stand so it can get out of the way yet he's still in that town didn't, didn't get out there quick enough that is i did uh, think it was interesting that even in a late 90s comedy you know not to get political or 2020 on it but the fact that there was a joke in there about a really corny benign joke by a jerk parked at a stoplight to two police officers and everyone in the, the minute they turned around there were cops every single person in the audience was like oh these cops are gonna mess with this guy <laughs> like just out of nowhere in, in a 1998 comedy those those universal uh stereotypes were still existing which yes made me laugh i mean it really did it something is- else uh when dan you talked about if this movie would have came out like after 2001 or something like that he probably wouldn't have gotten in the airport as easily as he did uh, through that dog cage. Yep. 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 You're very right. I didn't even think about that, (laughs) but he did. He he went home with a big dog. All right. Let's talk about this writer. So the story uh, of I'll be home for Christmas was written by a guy named Michael Allen, but Michael, this was his last thing he did. Um, but this guy, Michael Allen, also wrote the black exploitation film with Isaac Hayes, Truck Turner. He wrote the Bruce Lee film, Enter the Dragon, and he wrote Flash Gordon. And Flash. then now he's doing I'll Be Home for Christmas. This is pretty incredible. Like, this is. That's like Stuart 
and Brian uh, going Hughes. from yeah, he's going from uh, Reanimator to Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I know, like it, it's very versatile. Yeah, that is range. That is super range and pretty uh, amazing. I really like that. I thought that thought was an interesting tidbit, just because I thought like, wow, this guy did all this, and then he ended on "I'll Be Home for Christmas." What happened after that? You know, because I think he's still alive. Um, but yeah. sound confident. <laughs> I, I maybe he is, and then the, the how do cinem- you know he's not the one in the locker? Right. Um, and the cinematographer for this movie was Hiro Narita, who did the cinematography work for The Rocketeer, The Time Machine, and Star Trek VI. So, uh, hey, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah, yo, you gotta you, start somewhere. You gotta end somewhere, I guess. Oh, and oh, interesting, Preston. This guy Hero also did the cinematography for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So he was involved yeah. in a ton of Disney stuff, which is Big pretty Disney interesting. Guy. Yeah. Um, talk about the director because the director did a very Brady sequel, and then everything else is TV. Yeah. So Arlene Sanford. Um, Arlene Sanford directed this movie and her big claim to fame. Well, she's done episodes of Ally McBeal, Boston Legal, Desperate Housewives. But yeah, her only feature films were this one. And what was the other one? Very Brady sequel. And yes. then there's another one that she did around 2002. That oh, I- Frank McCluskey CI. Yeah. But she's done like every TV show you could think of from Gilmore Girls to Caroline in the City. So, uh, I mean, does this feel like a TV show? Like that can be like mini series that could be split into three episodes, or feel uh, like a movie? I, don't, I don't know if it has quite that ability to pull something like that off of, but yeah. it does feel like. Uh, I mean, and we say it with great love that it feels like a, a TV kind of movie, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's in it's enjoyable for what it is. Yeah, it's. This is a Hallmark movie. It was directed like a Hallmark movie. There's no, there was nothing that, if it was 2008 or 2018 instead of 1998, this movie never would have gone to theaters. You it think would have so? gone straight to TV. Straight and to Disney. You know, it would have been successful, but it never would have gone to theaters. And it would have been just like a holiday classic on Hallmark or Lifetime, whatever it is. So I feel like it was a little bit ahead of the curve and maybe maybe i don't know this for sure but definitely might even be a barometer for these tv directors who want to break into future films maybe maybe if this was 2008 she would have directed this movie and people would have been like oh that was a really fun hallmark movie and she would have directed one hallmark movie every year for the rest of her career you know i i don't know but um so what we're saying that's is what, uh, yeah we if if we had any shot of getting her on this show as a guest, we just killed it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What's her name? Arlene. Hey, Arlene. Sorry. Hey, but hey, we, we said a lot of good things. No, I think, I think it's a good movie. I mean, I'm just explaining why it wasn't financially successful and probably why she didn't direct another feature film. That's pro- yeah. Um, she probably felt most comfortable in that TV setting but right i don't know yeah audiences are dumb i mean this is the kind of movie i want to watch on my couch 
no just, I, and I think it took a lot of people a long time to get to that point when it comes to Christmas movie. Well, it's interesting because this movie was never really released on home video. Um, The only thing that I can find is that it was released as a double pack with Home Alone. Home Alone and this movie. Both being on DVD or on DVD, on DVD. Okay, yeah. Did Disney do do Home Alone? No, Um, they did did 20th Century. 20th Century Fox did it, but. I mean, they. I guess they now they own it. Stuff that thematically was uh, similar. Okay. Yeah, so that I think that's uh, pretty crazy, and I I feel like this needs kind of a new Blu-ray release because there's like a lot of cool, fun stuff in here, and you know, I think for the holiday times, people. I mean, this is like kind of lighthearted fun in a way, and I'm just surprised that. I mean, I guess Disney will never release it now since you have Disney Plus to watch it on but yeah you won't get that steel book of I'll be home for christmas. <laughs> steel book of i'll be home for christmas <laughs> um so are there any final thoughts to uh i'll be home for christmas dan i i, I really enjoyed it arlene if you're listening sorry to offend i thoroughly enjoyed your movie my negative criticism of it. <laughs> no, I, I think I honestly think it was ahead of its time, and that's a bad job of explaining that. But I think that some of these mid-tier or lower-tier box office movies, because this isn't a Marvel movie or anything, um, they eventually found their niche in going to be TV movies, and they're very successful. People watch them not year-round, but they get very excited for the the new Hallmark movies, the new Netflix Christmas theme movies, the, the Lifetime Christmas movies. It's, it's a very big industry now, and I feel if this movie had come out during that renaissance of those Christmas movies, it might be a more beloved classic than it is being lost to $3.9 million opening weekend in 1998, and pretty much forgotten by all of us, except for, except for Preston, who had watched it the year before, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I think it deserves more of its due. I think I'm definitely going to show it to my kids when they get a little older. And um, if anybody asks me for a random Christmas movie to watch or any of those lists you see going around on the internet, I think it should be included on your 25 days of Christmas list. This should be one of the 25 movies that you watch because it's fun, it's different, and it's thoroughly enjoyable for anybody our age. All right, Preston, what about you? No, I agree. I I, um, I, uh, I mentioned that I watched it last year, but I just found that it was more enjoyable, I guess, just because it, it found me at a more appropriate time in my life, I guess. Um, so I just found myself really enjoying it. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few scenes that I would love to talk more about. Like we didn't even mention the, the, the liver scene in the cooler when they're on the bus and you get the whole bus driver uh, getting, get behind the yellow line. And then how the, he just like duped everybody into thinking that he was uh, going to save this woman or this young girl for a liver, a liver transplant. <laughs> and uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's just the perfect amount of ridiculousness, but just packaged up in that, I guess we're just going to call it hallmarky, but uh it's just got that those cozy holiday warm feels in it and i think it's just surprisingly funny 
and uh, there's many elements to it that I think uh, people would get a kick out of uh, today, especially with its comedy. Um, <clears throat> just having that, what we mentioned earlier, that timeless quality to it. So I think there's just, there's a lot more positives in it than negatives. Um, if you can just look past a few of the uh, logical blunders in there, I think you'll, you'll have a good time with it. Yeah, I agree with both of you. This I'll Be Home for Christmas really is a little bit different than your normal Disney movie. What Preston just said with the liver scene, it kind of plays out kind of like the Robert Downey Jr. version of Sherlock Holmes where he sees things and he plays it out in his mind. And when he's on the bus, he sees like people drawing on a, you know, a coloring board and the cooler and people eating this gross roast beef sandwich and he just puts it all together and it plays out in this perfect way this is not like something that disney usually does so i think might be a mix of maybe the comedy uh film road trip and maybe a little bit of uh, planes, trains, and automobiles in a little bit of Christmas with a holiday spirit with some, you know, very charming performances from the young actors. And, you know, being a college movie, you know, you see the cover of this movie, you're like, oh, it's John Taylor, Taylor Thomas as, you know, 12 or 13 years old being cute. I'm like, no, that's not him in this movie. He, like Preston said, he's kind of like Van Wilder in this movie. Uh, <laughs> even though the first part of the movie, you're like, are they in high school? Because there's lockers at this college. And, uh, it just it's it's really fun and something a little different and i'm glad disney hasn't like really changed it up for the 2020 uh year too much uh or taking things away because it's, it's a good movie i would like to see kind of a remake of this movie if they were to remake this movie who would you want to play jessica beale and jonathan taylor thomas oh boy. um Young actors, let's go. Uh, Haley Steinfeld. Um, and Tom uh, Holland, just get cast and everything. Yeah, Tom, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I mean, he's he's got the right amount of quirky reactions. I would go Tom Holland. Oh, go good, good deal. And keep Gary Cole. Keep Gary Cole. <laughs> yeah, just so we can say Pineapple Express. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would love to get like if you if you, since you mentioned like TV series, I kind of want all those early episodes of his scheming. Like I want to know like he he just knew I need to give uh, Jessica Biel's roommate a cherry crunch bar. Like he just yeah. knew that he had to do all these things get in order to get, to to get where he needed them to be. He's a master manipulator. Yeah, he's he's, well. he's definitely. Yeah, I, I don't know what he's doing now. He's probably selling like cryptocurrency and swindling people out of millions. But I hope that he, I hope that at the end of the movie, he actually learned his lesson because that was the point of I'll be, you know, that's, that's the point of the end of the movie is that he learned his lesson. But I could totally see him in the beginning. I was like, man, this guy's like a, some sort of savant. He's going to, he's going to be running the school and are they going <laughs> to really rob this bank? And like, who knows? I got I got the perfect sequel idea and just cast everybody back except Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Jessica Biel are divorced and they have to go get he has to be home f for Christmas with his kids so it's the other way and call it I'll be home for Christmas relapse <laughs> <laughs> I like oh, this idea good. good idea Preston 
So I'll be home for Christmas is on Disney plus go check it out in time for the holidays. Um, you can find Dan Moran on boomstick comics and Instagram at Dan Moran, Dan J Moran, 29, I believe he's, he's coming out with it. He wrote the Mank review and he's coming out with his pieces of a woman review, which I know he laughed the whole way through. (laughs) That movie's a bucket of laughs. And and then uh, Presson, of course, Denton Record Chronicle and FreshFiction.tv. You can see all of his reviews. You can find his excellent interview with, um, oh, Black Bear. What's her name? Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza online. It's pretty awesome. Awesome. And I'm Brian Kluger on Boomstick Comics and High Def Digest. Pretty soon you'll be able to read the Blade 4K review. Oh my gourd, another 90s movie um, coming at you. But thank you. We will try to do another holiday one before December's up. Uh, so stick with us. We're on the Multimedia Men, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher Radio. We love you. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and Jonathan Taylor Thomas forever. <laughs>